When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, tech fans, and welcome in to the episode 128 of the Tech Sideline podcast, originating from TSL's High Tech Studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. We have a busy show planned for you today, and we're so glad you're with us as we're going to talk about the addition of grad transfer Evan Fares, how he can help the receiving core for Virginia Tech football. How can Virginia Tech football replace the production of Dalton Keene, an article from Brandon Patterson that's on the website. We talk about that on the podcast. And we spend the majority of today's show talking about the top 10 football games that have been played in Blacksburg since 1999. All that and more. It's on the Tech Sideline podcast, and it gets started right now. Welcome back into the Tech Sideline Podcast. So glad that you are with us today. Whether you're watching live on Facebook, we say hello. If you're watching archived on YouTube, listening on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud, we're so glad that you could join us today. We're recording on Thursday afternoon, May the 14th. Great show planned for today. Again, we're going to be talking about Virginia Tech football. The majority of the podcast, we'll talk about the current team, uh, a new grad transfer in Evan Fairs, and then again, the top 10 football games played in Blacksburg over the last 21 years, I guess I should say, since, uh, since 1999. Right. It's not 2019, Evan Hughes, it's 2020. Uh, we've got the best crew here today. We've got Chris Coleman, our managing editor. We've got the best producer in the land. He is Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes, taking your Facebook Live questions now. And we have our general manager and founder, Will Stewart. Yay. Gentlemen, Yay, me. how are you doing on this Thursday afternoon? Pretty well, how are you? Good, it's a beautiful day, Will. Fine. It is, it's getting warmer. Uh, I will have to apologize if I seem a little out of it today. I drove well over 500 miles yesterday. And uh, for guys my age, that once you guys get over about 40, all that driving you used to do and wouldn't affect you, it'll it'll start to get to you. Why do you think I fly everywhere now? Eh, I don't like <laughs> flying. <laughs> How long is the drive to South Carolina from Blacksburg? So uh, we went down to Columbia to pick up my Gamecock son's stuff from his uh, dorm room. It's about 275 miles uh, each way. So what is that? That's Wait a minute. That's not right. Because that would be 550 round trip. Answer is, I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> it's just it's, a lot of driving. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. I seem to have blanked out on how far it is because I drove about, I drove about 530 miles yesterday, but that included some back and forth that we don't ordinarily do. So I don't know. Somebody go to Google Maps and figure it out yourself. It's rough. It's four hours. You know, it's it's pretty much four hours if you do it without stopping. Well, uh, it's great to have everybody with us. We're looking forward to a great, fun show today that we have planned for you. And we begin today's podcast, turning it over to Will, talking about what's going on here at Tech Sideline. Right. So I wanted to give everybody an update on uh, the state of TSL two months into uh, the lack of total lack of sports. Um, so and I've, and I've said some of this on the podcast before. So what we're seeing is... Um, 
so far two months in, our subscribers are hanging in there, they're renewing, that sort of thing. I would say that looking at the numbers year over year, uh, some, we're doing something like 95 or 96% of subscription sales year over year. So that tells you that most of our subscribers are hanging in there. And I don't know if the drop off is due to lack of sports, if it's due to people losing their jobs and they can't, uh, they can't renew. Um, I have neither the time nor the inclination to do that research. That's that would require me going through all of the subscriber accounts and emailing people. And I just don't have the time to do that. Uh, and, and nobody's emailed me and said, I lost my job. I can't renew. Uh, so the subscriber uh, revenue stream of our business, which is about two thirds of our revenue is, is doing fine. So far, we're only two months in, and I'll get to that in a second. What has been gutted is the uh, what we call third-party advertising. It's the network ads that run in the border of the site. Um, and these are not in-house sponsorships. They're just network ads that run, and they're keyed on your browsing history. So if you've been searching for trucks lately, you're going to get a bunch of truck ads. And that accounts for close to a third of our business, and that has been gutted. It's about, uh, we're now doing about 30% of uh, revenue year over year. So one third of our business is down 70%. Um, so the, the so the reason I pass that on is, first of all, I know that a lot of people who watch the podcast and listen to the podcast probably never go to the site. You know, I, I think... I think there's a lot of people that we access this way who have no clue what I'm talking about. They're like, oh, okay, whatever. I have no idea what you're talking about, subscribers and ad revenue. Uh, so I, I meant to kind of say that up front. Um, so if you are a subscriber and you're like, well, I'm just going to let it lapse for now because, you know, if there aren't any games being played. There's nothing to talk about. I would ask that you kind of keep it going, you know, because that helps a lot. Um, for those of you that follow the PPP loan stuff, the Paycheck Protection Program loans, we were able to get one of those, um, and we, we've discussed that stuff on the message board some, and at first, uh, I was kind of ambivalent about whether or not we should get one. Um, given the downturn in ad revenue, yes, I thought it was a good idea. So we did get some funding through that channel, and we have other strings we can pull that I, I don't really want to get into. So I think we'll be okay. But I can't have a bunch of the subscribers um, bailing on us and then make that same statement. So um, if you're on the fence, uh, if you are a paid subscriber and you're on the fence, hang with us if you can. Um, and let's see, what else did I want to say about that? Um, oh, uh, something that we are working on that we've got coming up soon is uh, we are getting ready to launch it. And, the, and for those of you that visit the site and use the message boards, this this next statement comes fraught with concern. We're launching a new version of the message boards soon. Oddly enough, that doesn't mean the message boards are going to change. What we are doing is, um, and we, we've done one go around of this before, we're changing what's underneath, the programming that's underneath. Uh, those, those uh, I'm betting a very small percentage of you that this will mean anything to you. It actually doesn't mean a whole lot to me. The programming for the message boards goes back to the late 90s. It's programmed in a language called Perl, P-E-R-L. And uh, we are in the finishing stages of getting rid of the Perl code and replacing it with uh, a much more modern programming language. What that means is we have rung, and in terms of features, we've rung everything we can ring out of the boards as they're currently written. 
Um, the programming language that we are going to will enable us to start adding features. Um, the problem with Perl is that uh, if you want to add features, everything has to be done server-side. So, for example, a lot of people are always requesting, when are you going to get a mute or ignore feature? In the, in the Perl programming world, what that would require is, let's say we did have that feature in there and you've got five users that you're ignoring and you request the football message board. You make that request to the server and the server goes, okay, here we go. I'll put it together. Now this is so-and-so hokey and he's ignoring these five people. Is this person that, you know, it would have to manually step through and decide whether or not to show you things and then serve you the page. If thousands of people are doing that, the server can't handle it. What the new programming language allows us to do is if you have an, a list of five users that you're ignoring, you'll request the message board. It'll send you the message board and it'll send you your list of ignored users. And then your browser, based on the programming, will go through and decide what to show and not show. So it's what's called client side. All the work's being done on your computer, on your browser. So it doesn't bog down the server. And that's just one example of a feature that gets added that can be a client side feature. So what's going to happen is sometime in the next week or two, I am going to get to use the new programming to surf the boards. Everybody else will still be using the old programming. And so I'll be able to go through and test everything and uh, we'll add some features and things like that. When it launches to the rest of the world, you won't even know the difference. The boards will look the same um, and they'll function the same. But then we'll get to start adding new features of stuff people have been requesting, stuff that's a lot more fun. So that's, uh, that's more fun than boring talk about revenue and please keep your subscriptions and stuff like that. Uh, and I will tell you that, and here's another topic I wanted to touch on. There's that thing of, of how the coronavirus and COVID-19 are changing the world. And they are changing our business as well in ways that are going to manifest themselves over the next year. If you just listen to me, I laid out a scenario that we have encountered repeatedly. The subscription part of our business is reliable and consistent. The customers are reliable and consistent and loyal. The ad revenue part of the business has slammed up and down over years. And it is, it is very difficult to do anything and not be able to rely on that revenue stream. Now, these are extraordinary circumstances, losing 70% of your ad revenue. Um, but it has just driven home to me the point that part of our business is reliable and repeatable, and the other part isn't. And anybody with a brain will seek to decouple themselves from the part of their business that is not reliable. They will seek to minimize that and push it to the background. And so that's what I mean when I say our business is going to be changing in the next six months to a year. I'm going to be doing things to cater to the part of our business that is reliable and repeatable and try to decouple ourselves from the part that is not. Um, and when we moved over to, to Blacksburg, you know, in the summer of 2018, we went from a small office in Radford at subscriptions that were $60 a year to a office over here in the Corporate Research Center that was more expensive. We endowed a scholarship in the comm department that's costing us $100,000 over a five-year span. Um, and we increased our subscription price from $60 to $85 a year. And even since we made this move over here, we've done things that I didn't foresee. Adding the, the podcast set 
and going in a more video centric direction. Uh, we were we weren't planning on doing that two years ago. We did that last year. So uh, I've learned a lot and it's opened up new thoughts about where we should go as a, as a business and as a uh, as as entertainment media, because that's what we are. We're entertainment media. So uh, I, I don't want to get any details, but I'm hatching some stuff that I, I think is going to manifest itself over the next prob- probably in the next year or so. Unfortunately, Evan, you'll be moving on and won't be here for that. Um, but uh, I, I think our, it, it's it's really cool stuff. Our business is going to be going in different directions. That's how we're going to change. And uh, I think that's everything I wanted to get out there. So appreciate the time. Um, and let's move on. There's always great content, too, on TechSideline.com right now. I really enjoyed reading an article that we will talk about actually today on the show today. You can read an article for Brandon Patterson, Replacing Dalton Keene's Dirty Work. Uh, it's a great read, and uh, we'll break it down on the show today. So um, let's kind of dive into some news that's happened in the last week or so in Virginia Tech Athletics. Not a ton, and then we're going to spend the majority of the time today top 10 games in Blacksburg since 1999, football-based. Uh, if you have an idea, go ahead and drop it in the Facebook Live comment section. Malcolm will get to them. Tell us why that's in your top 10 or what your most memorable game is, and we'll get to those towards the end of the show. But we begin today discussing about Virginia Tech football, announcing the signing of grad transfer wide receiver Evan Fares from Kansas a week ago today, a six foot three, 205-pound receiver. Uh, his best season came in 2017. He had over 300 receiving yards he's battled injury in his career chris i'll start with you how much of an impact will evan fares have to the wide receiver room it's hard to say it's hard to judge people off their careers at kansas um ron willis was a much better quarterback at virginia tech than his kansas stats would indicate so it's it's kind of hard to look at fares and and view him as an impact player but at the same time i, I think he's probably better than his numbers at kansas showed uh I think he's a rotation guy. I think he's a depth guy. Um, I don't think he's going to step in and be a starter. I could be wrong. What's what's the wrong. height? What's his height and weight? Six three two zero five. Six three two zero five. Okay. Yeah, he's an outside receiver for sure. Outside right. receiver all the way. Um, and you, with Hazelton going, you just don't know what you have out there besides Trey Turner. Um, you know, I think they like some guys, but but they're unproven and. You know, if you can get a guy for one year to give you some more depth, then, yeah, you so, so room, then go for it. You've lost Pinkney to the portal. Not that he was a factor. He wasn't but, a player. But, you know, I, I think that fans thought that he was part of the outside depth. And Hazleton, um, that right. was a surprise. I don't know. I, I guess we had heard that he was thinking about it, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But but I think to the world at large, that was a surprise. And and Patterson, uh, re- remind me, was, was Patterson, Phil Patterson, a guy who could play inside and outside? Theoretically, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, the depth is needed at the outside. Now, when he um, committed to Tech uh, from the transfer portal Tech, he released a video that was a lot of practice highlights of him. And, you know, highlight film's highlight film. He looked great. <laughs> he made a lot of tough catches. I thought he ran good routes, good crisp routes. What you don't know is what does he not do well? That's not going to be in the highlight film. So you take a guy like Damon Hazelton, if you put together a highlight film of Damon Hazelton. Oh, that guy's an all pro. Yeah, you'd have some phenomenal highlights. Yeah. But what you wouldn't include in the highlight film is all the alligator arm drops across the middle. Yeah. You know, so so what are Fair's weaknesses? Um Evan, you said in 2017 those were his best numbers. 
was he injured in 2018? Correct. Yeah, I'll, I'll read the article that uh, Chris put together on TechSideline.com. Best season in Kansas, true sophomore in 2017. He caught 24 passes for 335 yards and a touchdown. He uh, had seven receptions for 105 yards against Texas that season in a game. However, he never caught more than two passes in any other any of his other seasons yeah. in Lawrence. And that, well, they don't know how to pull, develop players at Kansas. We have to take that. And there's been I a mean, coaching change as well. Well, but there's a coaching change every yeah. other year at Kansas. And let but me add they, as they well. don't redshirt guys. Yeah. Like This yeah. is a guy who came in and played eight games as a true freshman, mostly on special teams, and didn't catch, catch a pass. All for the team to go 2-10, and ten, right? right? What a waste. Yeah. I mean, Kansas is the school that should be redshirting everybody. There's yeah. no reason to waste a guy's redshirt. To go two and ten, which is what wow. Kansas does every year, right? So, and they did the same thing to Ryan Willis right. when they started now, him as a as a as a quarterback as a true freshman. Real quick, let me also add that so he injured his knee against Baylor as a junior in 2018, opted right. to take a redshirt season, entered the transfer portal in February. So not only did he not redshirt, and there's been coaching changes. So wait a minute, you said 2018 is when he got injured. Okay, yeah. And then 2019, he just he just didn't play, right? Yes, he was on the I, team in 2019. I think he fell. Yeah, I think Les Miles doesn't like him. That was Les Miles' first year. Correct. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he just that's a I new mean, coaching every, staff. Coaching transition. Yeah, it happens that everybody everywhere and, there's a coach. And so he was in a situation where he took his redshirt year in 2018, if I heard you correctly, right? Uh the redshirt yes. year was in yeah. Tw- yeah, correct. And going into the 2019 season, he probably didn't know how much he was going to play. So then he winds up sitting the bench, and that's a wasted year. You know, yeah. if he had known in the summer of 2019 he wasn't going to play in 2019, he could have gone into the portal then. Mm-hmm. You know, so so here you are. So he's got one year of eligibility left. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Definition. I, I, he is technically a grad transfer. I believe he did graduate from. Okay. Kansas. Good. So he's got eligibility. So he's right one away. year immediately eligible. Um, well, let me ask you this. So we talked about losing Damon Hazleton, an outside guy. We're going to talk in a minute about how Tech can replace the dirty work in the Brandon Patterson article, the production of Keen. But when you take out those two players in terms of pass catchers and Tech's offense, who do you think steps up in terms of those pass catchers' role in 2020 for Tech on offense? Yeah, uh, Chris is going to have to help me here. Um, clearly Trey Turner, um, Tavion Robinson. I think James Mitchell will, will certainly be involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gallo yep. will be involved. We're going to talk about him when yep. the dirty work piece. We we hope pay payout. Jaden pay. Yeah. We we hope. Um, who else is there? You got Caleb Smith on the outside. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Smith Smith, Smith got off to a good start in his career, but you know once Hazleton. I think Smith only caught like one pass over the last nine games last year. Everything was in those first few games when Hazleton was out injured. Yeah. Um, I like Smith, but I don't know if he's ever that starting guy. Yeah. Um, I, like I, I, I think I'm, I don't get in the business of recruiting or excuse me, rooting for one player over the other. But I hope payout ends up payout. Excuse me, not payout. It's payout. Do we know that for a fact? I'm pretty sure. <laughs> uh, we need the media guy. <laughs> yeah, what we do, but. Is, is Damien Salas out there? Damien, let us know how you pronounce I, I it. I think, I hope that he proves to be the best because he's got the most, he's got the highest ceiling. And the quicker he can get into the rotation and earn a lot of playing time, the quicker he'll improve. So I, I hope he's ready. Now, he's the type, he was a high school quarterback, he really needed the spring, right? Yep. And he didn't get it. So I don't know how much that will stifle his progress or anything like that, but... You know, a few weeks ago, Justin Fuente and Trey Turner and, and some people like that were 
they did a private Zoom chat with fans and, and everything. And I, I've heard I heard that Trey Turner mentioned in that chat that he shouldn't be the the jet sweep guy anymore. It should be uh, Jaden Payute because yeah. he's so fast and he yeah. can take it the distance. So Payute's going to be involved in some way, shape, or form uh, because he's I think he's too athletic to not get him involved. Uh, whether he's starting on the outside, whether he's just a jet sweep guy at first. I don't know whether he's going to catch 15 passes or 50 passes, right? But I do know he's going to be involved. Has Fuente indicated if uh, Blackshear will uh, will be in the slot? Or they the say backfield? he's going to be a running back. Okay. Is, is, or, uh, but, you know, Virginia Tech has never been hesitant since Justin Fuente has been here. It's had line up. guys up in various spots. They've, so. they've, they've, and they've never hesitated to be coy about stuff and then, then do stuff you don't expect. Right. You know? Yeah. Let's transition to the article that uh, Brandon Patterson wrote. Uh, it's on TechSideline.com right now, and highly recommend that you go give it a read. Replacing Dalton Keene's Dirty Work is the name of the article. And one thing that we talk about, we love about Brandon Patterson, he, he gives the video examples, too, that goes along with what he's breaking down uh, in the film. He left out Keene's best block. Though. I was going to say. They, 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 was yeah. it the Trayvon Hill? No, uh, it, was uh, the, uh, it was the uh, when he blocked two UVA guys in the 2018 game to clear the way for Deshaun McLeish. Run, yeah. yeah, and so there's a lot of things actually that you you think you know about Dalton Keene as the you know as the average tech follower, and then you watch the film and gosh, there's a lot that you don't realize that he did for this offense and kind of that tight end H back guy in the backfield type player do it all. Um, is it seems like Nick Gallo is the guy that Brandon Patterson thinks can replace. The, the, the dirty work, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, we, we don't know anything about him as a receiver at this point, but I, I do know that the tech coaches feel like that he has NFL potential. And I've I heard that at, at a practice I went to back last August before the season even started. Um, so they're very high on him. He played over 100 snaps last year, mostly in a blocking role. Uh, hopefully he has access to a weight room somewhere. So he makes that strength jump from a true freshman to a true sophomore. Do you see him as a Jeff King, or Ryan Malik type one who can block and catch? That, that's of what. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, he is going to be relied on to be Virginia Tech's main blocker from the tight end position this year, in my opinion. If you can't use really James Mitchell in that role because there's so much of the time he's going to be split out wide. Yeah. Right. Yeah. To a certain extent. I don't think of him as a blocker. He's actually not bad at it. He's he's pretty good at it, but he's not. It's in a different way. Like, you, I don't think you want him with his hand on the ground. Yeah. It's more out on. Yeah. I don't want to say the perimeter, but not. Right. 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 In, on the, on the I'll give a little taste of what Brandon had to write here. A couple sentences about Nick Gallo. He said, quote, Nick Gallo seems to be the heir apparent at 6'4", 242 pounds as a true freshman. He was the same height and only 10 pounds shy of Keene's playing measurables at Tech. Though it's fair to note that as far as body compo- composition goes, the muscle slash fat difference was a little more pronounced. He also got a lot of work at that position for a true freshman, which makes sense since the staff thinks he's got NFL potential. As far as alternatives go, James Mitchells is similarly sized in game to block, but playing bulldozer goes away from his strengths, while none of the traditional running backs have Gallo's blend of size and experience. Close quote. Right. Um, Gallo is a true freshman. Was ten pounds behind Dalton Keene at his peak, but you got to remember when Col- when Dalton Keene was a true freshman, he was only like two hundred twenty three pounds. He was a high school running back in Colorado, and this is one heck of a development job by Tech, and is a testament to Keene's own work ethic. When you're a high school running back, and then you're declaring for the draft as an H back tight end three. Like, did he? Three did he redshirt? 
No. no. Wow. No. He started from day one as a true freshman. And having, getting drafted having in the never, third round. Having never played the position, and what at the position what, what Justin Fuente calls the second most difficult position at Virginia Tech besides quarterback is that H-back spot. Yeah. Yep. Um, that's, that's, that's a pretty incredible story. Um, and that gets back to when, when Keene declared for the draft. I just thought, what? You know, um, I, I didn't see that coming. You know, he, he clearly made the right call uh, getting drafted in the third round. Um, and, and sometimes, most of the time, a lot of times I keep my mouth shut about stuff. When he announced he was going pro, I didn't know that he was going to go that high. And I think the inclination is, why, you remember a lot of the talk at the time was that his family was friends with Charlie Wiles. And Wiles had been let go, and the Keene family might be upset, and that's why Dalton said, "I'm out of here." And I, I didn't, I didn't go there. I, I didn't, and and of course, you know, of course, we had one or two people email us and say that was a factor. But the world's full of conspiracy theorists who want to jump on that and, in, in air quotes, verify it for you. But you know, I, I kept my mouth shut about that, and I'm glad I did because. <laughs> Apparently they knew some stuff that that we didn't know, and I haven't had a chance to read any interviews with him or anything like that. Dalton Keene to see what he has to say about it, uh, you know, what that process was like and why he made the decisions he made. I think in hindsight, the stuff about not liking Fuente was or being mad at Fuente was wrong because I mean he he's publicly stuck up for Fuente on Twitter yes, a couple of times since right. then. That's well, right. When when the, and it's gone back in the other direction. Fuente's also yeah, positively addressed yeah, him on Twitter. Yeah. Yep. So no. sometimes it's best to just keep your mouth and your keyboard shut and see how things play out. Yeah. Uh, we, we talked about this. We don't have to go down this road because we did on previous podcasts. But I, I feel like if we would have asked this, this the, the three of us, uh, the best destination for Dalton Keene to go mm-hmm. in the pros, I, I, I think, honestly, I would have said the Patriots, number one. I just feel like he's going to – that's a perfect spot for him, the way they use tight ends. Even without system. Tom Brady, will they keep using the tight ends the same way? I, I think so. I think they're going to – They drafted uh, two of them in the third round, so yep. they're, they're clearly interested yeah, I think in Devin using Asai the position. from UCLA, yeah. uh, you know, Belichick's always – had such an emphasis on his tight end. So I, I don't know. I just think that it's a, it's a good landing spot for him to go. So um, yeah, it, it certainly it w- will be interesting to see how Nick Gallo and others kind of take on that. And I love he put in his article, not just the production, but the, the dirty work because you, you read that article and it really is the dirty well, the, work. The article's all about blocking. Yep. So, so, yeah. so dipping in the NFL a little bit, I'll go on a little tangent here. Um, I noticed on the NFL Network the other day they were playing the 1982 Dolphins-Chargers playoff game. And it's actually the 1981 season because it was January 2nd, 1982. Do you know anything about that game, Evan? That game was Dan Fouts and uh, uh, Don Coriel's Air Air Chargers offense against um, a Miami Dolphins team that was very, very run-centric at the time. They had uh, David Woodley playing quarterback, and he wasn't that great of a passer. Don Strzok from Virginia Tech was backing him up. Where's so Marino? The, Marino wasn't there yet. Really? Yeah, this was a, this was a couple of years for Marino was drafted, we're, I want to say, in 87, eight, right? That was the year not they that five. Late, not that okay. late. I think it was 83 or 84. Gotcha. Yeah, because my, my sophomore year at Tech was 84. Marino was a second-year quarterback. Yeah, 83. So this was the 81 season, so Marino didn't get there for a couple of years. Yeah. So anyway, this is, a, this is not a conference championship. It's a divisional playoff game. And the Chargers roll down to Miami, and Miami, they look like Virginia Tech against Boise State in, in that FedEx game. Miami just fell apart on special teams, and they coughed up 24 points before the first quarter was over. Mm. It was 24 nothing San Diego at the end of the first quarter. 
So uh, uh, Don Shula puts in Strzok, and Strzok, Strzok was the backup quarterback, but he had played a fair amount that year. And um, when so when Strzok trots out onto the field, they had uh, uh, video, audio video clips from a bunch of guys who'd played for the team, and they were all very, oh, yeah, we knew we had a great backup quarterback. And Strzok comes in and starts slinging it all over the yard, and, and the Dolphins go on a 38-7 to run and take a 38-31 lead late in the third quarter. And they're driving – early fourth quarter, they're driving down for a score that will put them up two with like seven or eight minutes left to go. And they fumble deep in the Chargers' territory. And that's when I turn it off and quit watching because I'm a Dolphins fan and the Chargers wind up winning in overtime. So it was, it's, it, the reason I bring all that up is it was just really cool to uh, – to hear them talk about Don Strzok and how much how much faith they had in him, and uh, and to hear the Charger players saying he came in and he was just throwing it all over the place, we weren't ready for it. So now, old time Tech fans will know that Don Strzok threw a ton of interceptions. He threw just about twice as many interceptions as touchdowns at Virginia Tech, right? I, I think in in one season in particular, I think the record for most interceptions is held by Will Fuhrer, but Fuhrer started four years. Was that the free safety who came in to play quarterback? No, that was Nick no, Swartz. No, Fuhrer was a, was a quarterback from the D- Dating myself here, yeah. folks. Will Fuhrer was actually drafted in, in the early gotcha. 90s. And yeah, I think the Bears him. drafted yeah. him. So so Fuhrer threw more interceptions in his career than Strzok did, but he but he threw more, period. So it's funny, when Strzok came running out on the field for the Dolphins, he had six touchdowns and eight interceptions. You don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be exciting. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, he was that and, type. He threw for 400 yards in three quarters of football in this game. But there were also at least two clips of him throwing the football straight to Charger players. And one of them, the guy just dropped it. And another one, the guy was in coverage and it hit him in the middle of the back. <laughs> um, and my dad, my dad used to say that Don Strzok was colorblind, that he literally didn't know which team he was throwing to. And he would do these things. He was a great passer, but he would just wing it straight at the other team. So it was, it was interesting to see all of that encapsulated in that, in that one game. So sorry to hijack the, uh, the podcast. No, there. no, that's a, that's a great story. And I will say if there's one thing right now, the sports fans are getting the opportunity to do. It's go back and watch games that, uh, yeah. like for me, I wasn't alive for and get to understand a piece of history. So I'll have to, to write that down. So, so that, that game had a special teams player in it named Tommy Vigorito who played for UVA. Later that night, they played a 1994 Dolphins game, had Terry Kirby play a running back for the Dolphins. He played for UVA. So I thought that was interesting, too. Yeah, really, really interesting. Um, All right, let's go ahead and uh, take our time out here on the Tech Sideline Podcast. When we come back, we're going to have some fun. Top 10 game football games played in Blacksburg since 1999. Don't go anywhere. This is the Tech Sideline Podcast brought to you by the Fisher Law Firm. If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Here at Fisher Law Firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at FisherLegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, class of 98. Let's go, Hokies. Welcome back into the Tech Sideline podcast and brought to you by the Fisher Law Firm. A reminder, if you do your estate planning with the Fisher Law Firm, they're giving away free subscriptions 
to techsideline.com. You can call them at 1-800-680-7031. Again, that's 1-800-680-7031. Glad you're with us. Episode 128 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Evan Hughes, Chris Coleman, Will Stewart, and Malcolm Stewart with you. We transitioned from talking about current news in Virginia Tech Athletics to a fun topic that I've been looking forward to uh, talking about on the podcast. Uh, Chris and Will have already done some preparation for this. Really eager to hear what you... uh, Uh, who are watching live on Facebook Live, have to say about what are the top 10 football games to be played in Blacksburg since 1999. So over the last 21 years, it has to be in Blacksburg at Lane Stadium. And I think this is going to be an interesting discussion because uh, I am about 2008 on from my memory of tech uh, football. (laughs) And you guys can remember all of the really good days uh, from 1999 on. So, uh, Chris, let me start with you. Let me Before you go through your list, what was the first game that came to mind when you started putting this list together? The first game that comes to mind for me was probably 99 Syracuse, the first time game day ever came to Tech. That, that's, and that's a game that I was not at, unfortunately. I was still in high school, so I couldn't attend those games. Um, so there, there, there are two games on my list that I was not in attendance for, unfortunately. But yeah, that, that 99 Syracuse game to me, I think, is, is peak Virginia Tech. And that was the route, correct? <laughs> the 62 to nothing squeaker, yeah. And that was the first time that uh, game, game day was here? Yeah, they came yeah. twice that year. The Miami game was later. Yeah. Um, yeah. How about you, Will, when you think about the first game that comes to mind? All right, so my brain goes uh, uh, 99 Syracuse. It actually went 99 Miami. I didn't think about Syracuse. 99 Miami. And then I thought to myself, a whole bunch of people are going to say 99 Boston College. But for me, that one doesn't resonate. And then my brain goes, well, that's just because you knew Tech would win. It was actually <laughs> pretty cool to win and then hang out later and sing We Are the Champions and, and watch the scores on the scoreboard. So that was good. 2001 Miami. And then my brain went somewhere. I'll bet nobody else's brain goes. And I looked at Chris's, Chris's list and it wasn't on Chris's list. And this is going to sound weird. But I'm going to throw 2002 Pittsburgh in there. Hmm. Tell All our right. list. Uh, I don't know anything. Why about would that you game. do that? I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Not not the game itself. Definitely okay. not the game itself. Um, that was the game where let's see, uh, the Big East was was, <laughs> gosh. By then, ABC and ESPN had figured out nobody wanted to watch Big East football, so they started putting some Big East games on Wednesday and Thursday Wednesday nights. Um, they they always had Thursday slots, but do you remember Chris Tech had a few Wednesday night games? Are you saying the pit was Wednesday? Mm, I don't. I remember. I, I know West Virginia. Was, West Virginia was. was I, see, I remember Pitt being a Saturday night game. Do you? Yeah. Okay. Well, that may be the case. I could be wrong. Didn't, didn't really. West Virginia was definitely on a Wednesday night. Uh, so we'd have to do the research. There, there were two Wednesday night games. Uh huh. One of them at West Virginia, and one of them home against West Virginia. Okay. And again, these yeah. are in Blacksburg. These games. Yeah. Just to and so, what I'm about to describe, to describe sounds like a Saturday scenario. Anyway, so in that game, Virginia Tech was very highly ranked, second or third in the country, something like that, and they were winning at one point, I believe, fourteen to seven or twenty-one to seven. Twenty-one to seven. They blocked a punt. Uh, Lee Suggs broke off a long run. So it's twenty-one to seven. Everything looks great. They're playing defense against Pitt. They've got Pitt stopped, and Ronyel Whitaker commits a bonehead late hit. It was like fourth and ten. It was at, it was at, after the after the play on third down and completion. 
So it's like fourth and ten. The teams are literally leaving the field for the punt teams to come on, and he just decks somebody. Oh, the what I remember is him hitting a receiver, a ball that was way overthrown, and he hit a receiver and, 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 got, and got flagged. See, what I remember, I remember that from the Syracuse game in 2001. He did it. He, Whitaker had a, uh, had a knack for uh, having these awful 15-yard penalties that, that, on that. third down that, that gave the other team new life, and then they'd go down the field and score. Um, so he, uh, he, so you're, I think that one was 2001 Syracuse. Anyway, whatever. So the only two Wednesday games that Virginia Tech has played in since 2000 were back-to-back seasons against West Virginia, okay. home in 2002, away in 2000. So I'm making stuff up. Anyway. The, so is, it, is, it, is that off uh, your list? Now? And I'm getting text from, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. it was a Saturday. Okay. So the story I'm going to tell is, is, is is why I remember that game. So, you know, Whitaker commits a bonehead error and like one or two plays later, uh, uh, who was Rod Rutherford Pitt's quarterback at the time? Probably. A guy you may have heard of named Larry Fitzgerald was playing for Pittsburgh. You know, uh, we didn't know how good he was. He had a really good game. I didn't know he'd go on to be a phenomenal pro and all that stuff. So they, they go down the field, boom, 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 throw a touchdown pass to, to Fitzgerald. Tech just fell apart, and they wound up losing 28-21 in a game they had under control. Mm-hmm. So here's what I remember about that game that's good was it was a night game. The, the tailgating started, of course, during the afternoon, and I got a vibe in the parking lot that I've never had before or since. As it got dark – the I was tailgating in lot two behind the south end zone. It was very crowded back there. This was at a time when people showed up early. There were no lawn lines drawn that you had to tailgate inside. So it was kind of a mob scene. And I just remember it being very crowded. And as it got dark, it felt like there was a ceiling on the whole thing. And the energy in the parking lot was incredible. And then you go into the game, and that's back when Tech had a still had that that kick blocking reputation. And I swear, Pitt's punter wet himself. The first two or three times he was out there, you could see the nerves. Way up in the stands, you could tell that guy was about to lose it, and all he wanted to do was just catch the ball and get the kickoff. And and he actually did fumble a snap at one point. The Tech recovered and took in for a touchdown, I believe. Not right then, but they recovered it and then drove in for a touchdown. So I just remember all the parking lot energy before the game and all the incredible energy in the stadium right up until Ronnie Whitaker opened the door and, and Larry Fitzgerald kicked it in. Good to know. All those positive vibes. All right, so I'll go. I'll, <laughs> I'll give one. I, again, so I'm dated. I'm about 2008 on. Like the first, I always tell people, yeah. the first tech quarterback I remember is Sean Glennon. Uh-huh, so that's yeah. what, what I'm working with here. I'm sure it's on the list. Nebraska in 09 is the first, I think like for Virginia Tech college students right now, at least, for some, I know some have been following since they were like one or two. But for me, that's one of the first memories I have in Blacksburg of just how many times do you hear stories about people who left that game and then they are they're in the, you know, they're walking out and they hear the crowd roaring and they got to run back. So that that's one game yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll list off. You know, I've all, that's a good that's a good pick. There's only three games on my list that have happened post 2003. I mean, people talk about the atmosphere in Lane Stadium and everything like that. And Lane Stadium compared to the rest of the college football is still. Well above average, still one of the best. Yeah, yeah. But Lane Stadium now compared to what it used to be is no comparison. Yeah. It used to be way louder. Um, we used to embrace games where it poured down rain and packed 65,000 people in there. And now, 
everybody is wanting to run away at the little slightest little drop of precipitation, right? It just used to be a much different mentality. People embraced bad weather. Um, I'd agree pe- with that. People showed up for noon games on time, packed the stadium, and made a lot of noise from the very beginning. Well, the, one of the loudest I've ever heard Lane Stadium, was, in my opinion, was a 2003 game against Syracuse, which was a noon game. And everybody, that stadium was packed. Nobody was late getting in there. Um, it was just, just definitely a different vibe. Um, the stadium was louder and rowdier back in the day than it is now. So maybe that's part of why I have more past games. But ultimately, when I look through the list of games that have happened since 2003 in Lane Stadium, there just haven't been that go ahead, many. Go ahead and list them off. What are the games you have post well, 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 first of all, let me ask you, 2011 Miami's got to be on that list, right? Yeah, yeah right. that's yeah. one of the three. That's the Logan Thomas up the middle, right? Yeah. Yeah, that that the thirty-five, thirty-one final. I want to say maybe or thirty-eight, thirty-five, yeah. something. And uh, to be fair, I could have put there. I could have put one more on here. I sh- and maybe I should have. Um, but anyway. I, I don't have two thousand nine Miami on my list. Maybe I should have. Um, I had to leave something off though. It's a top ten. <laughs> but here we are in chronological order. Yeah, go ahead. Yep. All right. Nineteen ninety-nine Syracuse. Uh, Nineteen ninety-nine Miami. 1999 Boston College. So I have three games from the 99 season on here. I have 2001 Miami, which I believe is the only loss on my list. Um, That was an incredible game against what is arguably the most talented team in the history of college football. I have 2002 LSU on here. Um, That was a game where Nick Saban was coaching LSU and Virginia Tech beat LSU 26-8 in Lane Stadium. Um... Nick Saban actually was so frustrated he threw his headset on the ground during that during the game, and Virginia Tech handled them very easily. Uh, I have 2003 Miami, the game which, in a lot of ways, was disappointing because Virginia Tech was horrible for the rest of the season after this game. So you you, you look at this game and you're like, how did this Virginia Tech team that beat Miami 31 to seven go on to lose five of their last six games or four of their last five or whatever it was? And not only did they lose them, they looked bad doing it. So, but in a vacuum, the atmosphere that night and the result was outstanding. So it's on my list. Uh, 2003 Texas A&M. Yes, I was um, going to say that needs to be on the yep, list for, because that was played in Hurricane the rem- Isabel. Hurricane Isabel, the remnants of Hurricane Isabel, and it was pa- again horrible weather, wind blowing. I remember tailgating. We were holding the tent down with one hand. And had drinks in our other Drinking beer. Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, it was it was incredibly bad weather. Packed stadium. Packed stadium. Yeah. Well, um, pretty much a packed stadium. It, Look, it looked packed on television, but there was, was... It was it was more people at that, at that game than your average game in Lane Stadium these days when the weather's good, quite frankly, okay. in my opinion. Uh, there are a lot of people in Richmond and the East Coast that got hit hard by the hurricane and to escape the hurricane, they came to Blacksburg to go to the game, right? Um, Where it was rainy and windy, but yeah, it wasn't hurricane. Right, like. right. Um, if Tech won that game 35-19, to 19, I believe. Um, that sounds right. Yep. 2009, Nebraska. We, we all know what happened there. Tyrod did it, Mike. Oh, I, I, got, I got one you left out, but it is a top ten list. You can't include everything. Yeah. Got 2011, Miami. The Logan Thomas fourth down run. And I've got 2019 UNC. I think you have to have that on your list. 
2004 WVU was uh, the, the, I, was I saw that right. one and thought about it. Yeah. It, it, it would so probably it be in my top 12 or 13 if we had a one of those. So I, real quick, I'm going to ask both of you this. If you had to pick a number one game, the best game football game in Blacksburg since 1999, what would you the pick? Be- <sighs> and I know the I, best I, pure football game was either – out of all these, I mean, just the game itself was probably either 2011 Miami or 2019 BC. I mean, oh. UNC, you mean? Oh, yeah, excuse me, 2019 UNC. The Nebraska game in 2009 was really good, but it was boring. Nobody scored. Until the end, yeah. yeah uh, for pure enjoyment. 2003 I, Miami? Probably. Probably. For pure enjoyment, that's prob- probably it. Because. Tech goes up and Miami's not doing anything, and, and you're pretty sure for at least half the game that Virginia Tech's going to win. It was just one of those nights for Miami. If I had actually been present for the Miami or Syracuse game in 1999, I would probably say those. Just, just this, the fact that game day was in town, Virginia Tech was ranked in the top ten, just the, the national exposure was on the program. Man. For the first time. But uh, the most fun I've ever had at a Virginia Tech football game was 1999 Boston College. Okay. Um, as far as me personally, most fun. I think what you're really asking is if you could get in a time machine and go back mm. and and be yes. there, be there yeah, for that is game, what I'm asking. Which one would you pick? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's it's for me. It's close. Well, I'd pick Nebraska and I'd stay till the end this time. <laughs> I just I'd, I'd just I'd just hang out at the uh, the concession lines and stuff like that and check my watch and make well, sure. No, I was no, out no. There you could you could just hang out at the tailgate in the south, uh, like in lot two or something. And then when like the fourth quarter starts, you walk into the stadium. <laughs> Real quick, did we mention this? But one thing about that Nebraska game that's so impressive is the amount of NFL talent that was on the field for Nebraska that day. I mean, yeah, Roy Hallou, Jared, Jared Craig, Damakin and Sue, Damakin Prince of Mukamara. Yep. Um, it was a yeah. lot of good talent on that Nebraska team. If I had to pick one to relive, it would probably – I'd probably go with the 2003 Miami game. Um, that game, you know, it was 31-7. It wasn't exactly a blowout. Uh, what I what I liked about the – I'm not sure there was even a score in the first quarter. Uh, but I remember, you know, Miami did their best to come out and meet Tech head-to-head. But I, I, I remember a play earlier where Kevin Jones broke loose going down the sideline. And uh, Sean Sean Taylor Sean Taylor came over to came over to hit him, and uh, Kevin did not absorb the hit or run out of bounds. He he saw him coming, and and you could see him turning like, yeah, when you get here, I'm going to hit you back, you right. know. And the two of them went wham and hit each other and went to the ground out of bounds and popped That's up two and, first round, and picks. they were they were jawing at each other on the way back out onto the field. And um, I remember asking asking Kevin about that uh, when I, I did a long interview with him years later. And uh, and he said he just you – know, he's like any great player. He'd love playing against other great players. Well, he, they knew each other too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, I would pick – because I didn't experience I experience it, I would pick 99 Syracuse, um, 62 to nothing. Um, the, the, the first exhilarating feeling of 1999. Nah. I, I, the first of many. Um, I remember watching that game on television, and ESPN actually cut it off after it was 48 nothing. Because there was an SEC yeah. game coming on, and the the Tech game was over, so they just switched it over. And I remember turning over the radio on the radio for like the last five minutes of the Tech Syracuse game, and Tech scored two. Tech's backup defense, second and third stringer, scored two defensive touchdowns in the last five minutes of the game to make it sixty-two to nothing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, so I can't imagine what 
what that would have been like in the stadium that night. I'll say two things. One, if I could go back in time, I would love to go back to the 99 Boston College game just to experience that scene and understand the feeling amongst mm-hmm. everybody. I know that's I, not pure I, game. I told my dad that September after we came up for the UAB game, I said, buy tickets for the Boston College game because we're going to go undefeated that night. And he did, so we came up to it and everything. Uh, another game that neither one of us mentioned that it's really tough to leave off the list. This might be, if I had a top 11, this might be a list. Here we go. The two, we can change our list. The 2004 Maryland game was a, was a Thursday night game. Mm-hmm. And Fra- Frank Beamer's uh, mom died that morning. And Tech came out and they beat Maryland like... 59 to 6 or 55 to 6 or something like that. I mean, it's just a I would have to route. say 55 to 6. Yeah. Um, um, I, I remember I had my own tailgate. I was a senior in college. I had my own tailgate, and all my friends showed up in lot eight. Had a really good time. Uh, when I found out that day that uh, Beamer's mom died, uh, I'm like, man, we're going to steamroll these guys. <laughs> I, I, so I actually placed a small bet on Virginia Tech <laughs> based on that and uh, and won, of course. Here's um, one I would not have thought of, but I'm just trying to think. And again, I'm dating myself past 2008. What about that Monday night game that opened up, I think, either the 2010, 11, 12, I can't remember. It was against Georgia Tech. Oh, Georgia Tech. And there was a kickoff return, I want to uh, say. No, that was, that was a different Georgia Tech game. Okay. The the kickoff return against Georgia Tech for a touchdown was but it was like late in the game and it like yeah that was David Wilson two thousand ten that was a Thursday night that was a Thursday night game Georgia Tech twenty twelve that opened the season on a Monday night but that was a boring football game gotcha boring absolutely boring football game so who was uh, who was Maryland's quarterback in that blowout uh, Steffi Jordan Steffi who who Tech recruited and remember we were. Yep. Tech fans were angry when we lost Jordan Steffi to Maryland. He, Turns he, out he was not very good. No, he, yeah. he just about got decapitated by James Anderson, oh, yeah. I think. That was poor guy. Um, the other thing I remember about that game is from the from the TV broadcast where uh, Brian Randall goes goes running around the end, and he encountered a Maryland defensive back out there and juked him out of his shoes. Yeah. And and uh, so that, that was back when uh, Tariqo and Herb Street and, and Corso did the game. and. Uh, Herbstreit said he L1. Herbstreit starts chuckling. I thought he said he X-buttoned him or something yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, Put the juke, juke move on him. <laughs> uh, my my dad actually like sat right right behind or right in front of Farrell Edmonds for that game. And that was before Farrell's kids came to Virginia Tech and yeah. became the Edmonds brothers. Farrell went to Maryland, so Farrell was at that game decked out in his Maryland gear. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I'm getting text. Uh, uh, Damian Salas is watching, and he's sending a bunch of uh, screenshots to me. Yeah, Steffi in that game – was three of six, including an interception for eight. Actually, three Maryland quarterbacks so, played okay, in that game. Okay, okay, okay. And they, they were picked off a combined four times. There was a Statham who was picked off three times. Statham. He yeah. was he was eight of seventeen for three. Was picks. it was the other one Hollenbach? Hollenbach. He was five of eight for fifty three yards. So he, so he, he, had, a good he had a great game. <laughs> <laughs> so the three quarterbacks combined to go fifteen for. 16 for 31, four picks, 141 yards, no touchdowns, and a long of 16 yards. And, and one concussion. And that <laughs> yeah. to so uh, that's uh, – yeah, appreciate that guys coming in. By the way, it is uh, Payute. I'm getting confirmation on that, by the okay, way. Okay, so, Payute. Hey, All, right. Um, All right. But these are some good – honestly, I think a good way to close this. I, I like how we've turned the top 10 games in Blacksburg since 99 to like the game you'd go back to. 
I, I know it's recent. I know, but that, I mean, I would love to relive that North Carolina game. I mean, the highs and the lows. I mean, you could not well, script that. Of it, three it, would different be, it would be fun for you to really uh, to be able to relive one as a fan, right? Because are you do you go to the game as a student? Oh, or, good point. Yeah. A mo- majority of the time, I don't go as a student. Actually, that day was one of the few games I've been to. Actually, my family was in the stands okay. for. So okay. I just to so be you a, got to experience the fan perspective of it. That, that, yes. that's good. So that's a really easy decision for me because I, I missed that game. Right, I was I was a wedding in South Carolina. So if I had a time machine, absolutely twenty nineteen. Are you going to give your uh, I don't know who was it your cousin or your niece? I mean, uh, who's my getting, niece? Do you give your niece grief? Just like gosh, you could not have picked another date for that. Nah, I love my niece. <laughs> yeah, I'm um, um, Malcolm texted, by the way. We uh, we don't have any questions at the moment, and we've had a couple of people respond. He texted them over to me. So the 2001 and 2003 Miami games are what some of our fans on uh, Facebook Live are saying. They're, they're some of their top ten uh, games in Blacksburg since 1999. So uh, it's interesting. And I think there's another podcast to do, too, maybe uh, top ten all sports, right? You think about some of the great basketball games that have happened in Blacksburg since oh, 2000. Oh, so I knew there was a thought that went through my head that I was forgetting the whole time machine question. Mm-hmm. In the very early days of, of back when the website was Hokie Central, I asked the question of the readers. You know, we didn't have, I don't think we had message boards back then. I said, email me if you could go back to one moment in time in, in Virginia Tech Athletics history, what would you go back and, and watch? And, uh, uh, I remember what I said. I, I remember it's several of the answers were, I would go back to this game because that's the last game I watched with my dad, that kind of thing, you know. But what I said, what I wrote that I would go back and do is I would watch the 1988 uh, uh, Southern Miss Virginia Tech basketball game, that the 141-133 game <laughs> that went into double overtime because I would want to see Castle Coliseum at full throat with 4,500, 5,000 students, however many it was, half the Coliseum used to be students back then. I'd want to go back in time and see that. Now, I was saying this in the late 90s at a time when, uh, you know, Virginia Tech won the NIT in 95, went to the NCAA in 96, but by then they were in the Atlantic 10, you know, and attendance wasn't that great, and they weren't winning many games, and and I was kind of longing for the good old days, so that's why I answered that. Right, we're coming up on just about an hour. Again, looking over at Malcolm right now. Uh, we've got the Texan of those games. Uh, no questions at the moment. So I will I will end with this because, actually, I will end with a text from my dad uh, to end with a Dolphins question for Will and Chris. <laughs> oh, if it's recent, I'm, I'm not going to know it. <laughs> he, uh, no, it's from the 80s. He goes, so Marino was on the team that lost to the Washington Redskins in 1983 Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. He did not play. Who was the Dolphins quarterback? Marino did not play? Oh, in '83. Um, so, yeah, that was that would have been when I was a senior in high school. That would have been when I was born. So, well, uh, <laughs> I don't remember anybody other than David Woodley and Don Strzok, and Strzok didn't play for him then. So, I would imagine that Woodley would have. Been, yeah, Woodley was the quarterback in that Super Bowl, and Woodley was an LSU guy. Uh, and I remember that because if I remember correctly in that Super Bowl, he opened with like a 77-yard pass. I don't can't remember if he went for a touchdown or not. And then wound up with 100 yards passing for the game. <laughs> sounds like the Maryland quarterbacks. In sounds, like the, sounds like the 1998 Virginia Tech-Syracuse game where uh, Jared Ferguson ran for a 75-yard touchdown and Tech had like 150 yards yeah. of offense that, that uh, He ran for a 75-yard touchdown and his shoe came off like eight yards into the run. Remember yeah. that? It yep. was 75. Virginia Tech had 
150 yards of total offense, and half of them came from a guy wearing one shoe. Yeah. So, so if you're complaining about the offense now, you probably weren't around in 1998. I uh, <laughs> I I got to go back and read what I wrote after that game. It was um, for me, it was pretty blistering about sure. how pathetic the offense was. And, and yeah, it was 150 yards. Is well, they had six first downs the entire game. Right. Right. Yeah. We, we had a great show today, guys. A lot of fun going through the top 10 games we'll of put Blacksburg. It, let's put this in perspective. Virginia Tech's offense in the two, 2014 Wake Forest game was probably actually better than the Virginia Tech offense in the 1998 Syracuse well, game, even only, though they didn't score. The only they had game, more first downs. They moved the ball better. <laughs> yeah. The only game that was worse was that uh, – was it 2013 Pitt that was in the rain and Tech had 100 yards of offense? I was uh, 2015. Right, that was a month before Frank announced his yes. retirement, and yep. I remember saying, "This is your, it. your your article was pretty scathing after that one." <laughs> <laughs> Time to pull the plug on this. We, I, that's yeah. what you need to start doing to start recycling through some of that oh. old nineteen ninety nine, two thousand. You never know that could make I, an I appearance tell you what, on the website. The, the longer we go without actually playing any games, the more and more inventive we'll need to get with content. Yeah. Well, speaking of content, yes. it is that time, Chris Coleman. You know what's coming. What's coming up on TechSideline.com this week? What can our subscribers and our fans be looking forward to on the website? And what's already on the uh, website right now? Uh, we just did a article. Brandon Passion did an article on the ISO play and Virginia Tech offense that we put out there today. I did the 1995 Rutgers article yesterday. Corey Van Dyke, I don't know if this will probably come tomorrow, but maybe early next week, has an interview with Ian Seymour, mm. Virginia Tech's pitcher, who will probably be drafted next month, who... Honestly, what what a shame that that happened. That guy was going to have on his way to having a dominant season. Um, been one of the best pitchers in the country. Country, and ugh, that that stinks. And now he's going to get drafted and leave, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. bummer. He'll be a top five. Pick. Well, good for him. Bad for Virginia good, Tech yeah, baseball. Not a bummer for him. <laughs> it's not a bummer. Sorry, uh, Ian. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Ian. <laughs> uh, you should be like Dalton Keene and stay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway. Yeah, and a Friday Q&A, as usual. And a Jason Stame article, actually, on Latrell Neville. Did so. he get in touch with Neville? I think so. I haven't read it because it just came through an email oh. on my phone. So, but. for our readers, Latrell Neville uh, tweeted yesterday. Now, remember, he's the four-star wide receiver out of Texas, the highest-rated recruited Virginia Tech's class at this point, who, as we talked about in the last podcast, Demetrius Davis was a big reason Neville was coming here. He tweeted a tweet yesterday that appeared to reaffirm his commitment to Virginia Tech. Now, if there's one thing this staff can do, it's recruit wide receivers. I don't know what they say to them, but it's it's very convincing. And whatever you do in there, can you can you do that for every other position <laughs> on the field? Because you're doing that right. They can get wide receivers to come here. So there, there's some there's something there's some magic elixir they've got about how they're going to use the wide receivers and. And uh, that's it has apparently gotten Neville to, to reaffirm. What I saw, what I saw watching his tape is he's pretty good at jet sweeps. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think Alec Bryant actually tweeted out before Neville's tweet something about, uh, yeah, yeah, Neville's Neville's recommitted yeah, or something, something like, like that. that. Yeah, I think that's uh, an excellent way to close. Be on the lookout for that on TechSideline.com. Fun podcast, guys. You know, it just be it's something good from something bad, right? We we might not have been having this podcast if things were back to normal. Fun to kind of go down memory lane and. And, uh, we, and we got criticized for not going long enough last time. We kept it to an hour, and a couple of people were like, man, you need to go longer than that. 
All right, you've do, got a workout duly, to do too. So I think I do. I'm not sure yet. We'll see. Yeah, we yeah. need. To, I might be doing some play by play. Keep my reps up. Play by play of him pushing a car, or you know, we, we can put that on TechSideline.com. So yeah. Um, all right. Any final thoughts, gentlemen, before we sign off? Just that uh, it's still up in the air whether or not there's going to be football and when. And uh, so Mark Emmert has has abdicated his his authority here. Of course, he has no authority, but he's actually admitted in an interview. He's like, it's not really for us to say. It's it's for the politicians and the school presidents to say. Yeah. Well, thank you, Mark, for admitting what we all know, that you really have no power here. Yeah. Um, it's going to be fine in some states, maybe not in others. I don't know. Yeah. So the the debate that's starting to go on is is is, is it looks like the California systems are going to disengage and say no, no sports. Yeah. Right. Or right. no, no school even. I, I don't know what they're saying. I can't remember. But it, but it looks like the Pac-10, the Pac-12 is is in jeopardy of not having football this fall. Um, but what about Colorado and Utah? And 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 what about the SEC and Big Ten and what's and so, so somebody on the message board this morning said it looks like the Pac-12 and the Big 12 are mostly out. You know the SEC and the Big Ten will be in. The ACC will probably be half in, half out. So yep. what are what are people going to do? And by people I mean schools. So one of the things that's happened is that uh, Alabama was supposed to play USC. USC, and they're talking to TCU about taking that slot. It, it it could be the Wild West. Team. Oh, it's going to be. And and it I, I don't I have no idea what's gonna happen. You would like to think there might be some order to it, but it could wind up being a free for all. Every man for himself. Where where people are just you know, so let's say half the ACC ACC teams want to play and the other half don't. Well, who's to say that half that wants to play can't play each other? You know, it'll be interesting to see what all these schools and conferences do. Right. And so it, let's say one team, let's say team A feels very safe and all their players agree to play and everything like that. Should they be forced to lose $40 million in revenue because somebody else in their conference isn't playing? Yeah. Uh, so those are the questions that have to be answered. And I guess will be answered over the course of the next few months. Uh, uh, you know, uh, we haven't had any school come out and say, oh, we're definitely not playing football this year. Not but, yet. But, but Akron, we also haven't anybody had any come out and say, we're definitely playing. They're, we've had some come out and say, we're planning to play. And planning to play is different than say, oh, we're definitely playing. Right, yeah. We do know that Akron today canceled three sports. Um, so, and you're going to see more and more of that, man. Um, and... And you know television has a vested interest in seeing football being played. And I, I, I'm not going to pretend to know what television is doing behind the scenes, but you got to figure that I don't, I don't know if they're pushing the process to get games played or if they're just sitting there saying, we'll take whatever you can send us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's going to be wild. Who, who knows what's going to happen. Yeah. And we're going to have you covered right here on TechSideline.com. Whatever happens... We'll be here. We'll uh, be here. So I started to worry going back to the very beginning of the podcast where I was like, what are we going to do if there if there really are no sports for the entirety of 2020 and 2021? What are we going to talk about? Well, if 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 it's this one foot in, one foot out deal, there's going to be plenty. To talk <laughs> there's going to be a yeah. lot to talk about. We, we are at a quiet time right now because nothing's happening in the world of sports. Nothing is 
they're all planning to do this and planning to do that. Well, eventually people are going to have to put their foot down as to what they are or aren't doing. Right. And that's when the discussion yeah. will really wind way back up and get interesting. Yeah. Bundesliga this weekend starts back. What is? That's the top German soccer league. If you say so. Yep. Korean Baseball League has been entertaining to watch. <laughs> I'll take also, I've been watching it. Cornhole on Sundays so on yeah. ESPN2. So, I mean, hey. Cornhole can be fascinating it, to watch for about so 20 they minutes. They have a telestrator on the board of what <laughs> angle. I'm not even kidding. It's actually really fascinating. So, uh, we're talking about Cornhole. That probably means we need to wrap things up here on the Indeed. podcast. Uh, but, gentlemen, great podcast as always. Make sure you're following uh, Tech Sideline on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all at Tech Sideline. That'll do it for episode 100. And 28 for Will Stewart, Chris Coleman, and Malcolm Stewart. My name is Evan Hughes saying so long. Thanks so much for watching. This has been the Tech Sideline Podcast brought to you by the Fisher Law Firm. Stay safe, Hokies. Mm-hmm.